to do you out of reading that reading because that's the reading I wanted us to hear and it's a beautiful gospel reading. I sometimes reflect back to my childhood growing up in a Christian home and belonging to a Methodist church back in the 1950s and the 1960s. I wouldn't describe my upbringing as austere but I did come to associate the church and organized religion as being to do with a number of things that we should not be doing. With a strong temperance movement, of course, within Methodism, alcohol was definitely on the banned list, and many Methodist homes were teetotal. One of our ministers used to tell of being horrified and annoyed when he went to a church party in a new church to which he'd gone to be minister, and they served food afterwards, uh, an English tea, and he was asked whether he would like trifle with or without. With or without what, he asked. The answer was sherry. He made it fairly clear that he hoped he would never be given that option again. Gambling too, of course, was a no-no. And I remember when the government introduced premium bonds uh, and the Methodist Church gave a fairly clear ruling on the fact that this was not a healthy form of uh, uh, speculation. Then there was the church steward who used to dive out of the back door as soon as the service was over in order to have a crafty fag before he came back into the vestry to count the collection. And that was a bit frowned on as well. And Sunday observance was high on the list of uh, our priorities, of course. No cinema, no sport, no newspapers, no shopping. And all these banned things gave me the distinct impression that religion was really about not doing this and not doing that and not doing the other. Of course, there were very good reasons behind some of these prohibitions. But the problem with all prohibitions is that when you've prohibited something, you then have to explain how and how much it is prohibited and under what circumstances it is prohibited and all the rest of it. No Sunday newspapers, they said, because it involved the shops opening and boys and girls delivering newspapers on a Sunday. But they didn't actually stop to give thought to how our Monday papers came to be printed and that was only because journalists and people in newsrooms had worked on a Sunday, first of all. Where do you draw the line? And suddenly, of course, prohibition becomes a bit of a business in itself. It demands a lot of energy and it takes on a very legalistic approach to life. There's not a lot of room left for joy. Well, those are the sort of themes, in a way, that are opened up in our readings, both the readings today. Because in both the readings, we find that there's a bit of a struggle going on to rescue religion from legalism and negativity. The first reading that Elizabeth read to us from Isaiah, uh, where Isaiah was speaking about fasting. And fasting was an integral part of religious life for Jewish people. But it had the potential to do more harm than good. Isaiah cites examples of fasting that led to quarreling and fighting amongst some people. He said, your religion's doing you more harm than good. He said, your religion should be leading you, leading you to a love of righteousness so that you work at challenging injustice and make life happier for the most vulnerable. Your relationship with God should be about a heart of generosity leading to providing food for hungry people. Your relationship with God should be about developing a capacity for compassion, which plays out in taking pity on the person without any clothes or homes. Isaiah's come 
as strong words, really. They provide a real challenge to religious people. Don't let your religion become bogged down with lots of prohibitions that are focused on inward piety, but allow your religion to move outwards and to transform the lives of those around you. And his words don't just come as a word of stern warning, but they do come also with a promise. Because on the other side of the coin, he says, if you do this, if you concentrate on justice, if you live with compassion, then your light will shine in the dark and you will be like a well-watered garden. Two lovely pictures. We all appreciate light that comes in the darkness. And in times of... Uh, Drought, we appreciate a well-watered garden. We get an even sharper contrast between this business of unhealthy religion and life-giving religion when we turn to the gospel reading that Genevieve's just shared with us. <clears throat> the story of Jesus healing the woman who was bent double. There's no doubt at all, of course, that for the woman and for her family and her friends, this was a time of great celebration. <clears throat> Luke tells us that she'd been bent double for 18 years, nearly 20 years of her life. Anybody who suffers from a severe curvature of the spine knows how difficult it is to actually see where they're going, see who's coming towards them, and see who they're speaking to. And if you want just to try and imagine how that is for people, just try it sometimes in your own room at home, bending double, and see just how little you are able to take in with your eyes. How wonderful to be released from those sort of limitations and be able to stand up straight again and see everything very clearly. But the moment, the moment of joy, the moment of celebration is spoiled. And it's spoiled by the ruler of the synagogue who immediately introduced a legalistic dimension to the, to the occasion. This is the Sabbath day. We don't work on the Sabbath, because healing involves work. He offers us a very interesting and good lesson on how to kill every good occasion and every piece of good news with a bit of legalism. Jesus wasn't saying that the Sabbath law was wrong, of course, but he did say that there is something more important than slavish adherence to laws. You don't prevent a donkey or an ox from uh, getting to water on the Sabbath. Or taking a donkey or an ox to the water, of course, involved working. And healing a sick human being is far more important than giving water to an animal. And in a way, we're left in with the impression that the ruler of the synagogue was probably as bent over in his life as the woman was bent over physically. Who was more bent double? The woman with her bent back or the synagogue ruler with his stiff-necked approach to religion? It's a question worth pondering. There are always uh, a number of uh, drawbacks and dangers of legalistic religion. I'm sure there's a whole long list of them, but I'm going to mention five just very briefly, each one. First of all, legalistic religion can make us very harsh and very condemnatory. In, in both our Bible readings this morning, there's a clear indication of the hurt that is caused when people uh, become harsh and condemnatory, when they point the finger 
and when they cause spiritual oppression, as Isaiah put it. And Jesus speaks about the damage caused by something, some leaving somebody to remain ill and disabled in order to satisfy some part of the law about the Sabbath. And if we practice our religion by being condemnatory and judgmental, then we can be, become more damaged than those we criticize or condemn. And secondly, legalistic religion has the capacity to heap unnecessary guilt on people and on ourselves. Of course, there are shortcomings that we need to be aware of. There is a room, there is room and a right space for guilt. There are sins that we need to confess. We're all prone to be selfish and disobedient sometimes. We're all part of a mixed and a messy world and we've contributed to the mixed upness and the messiness of the world around us. But to emphasize a lot of petty rules and regulations actually stirs up a huge amount of unnecessary guilt. I'm sure you're aware of some of the stories that surround the story of the, uh, the, the life of the great Protestant reformer uh, Martin Luther. Martin Luther who began his life um, with a great sense of burden because there were many things wrong in his life. But some of the things that he was worried about were really trifling and trivial things. He entered a monastery and spent his, some good time in a monastic cell trying to work through these things. And he had a tormented soul, really. A mechanical approach to confession leads to an increasing and an unnecessary level of guilt. Petty wrongs become enormous. And that kind of religion can lead to various forms of psychiatric illness. Illness where people become imprisoned by their sins and bent double with guilt. An experienced writer in pastoral theology once said that psychologically as well as socially, there is nothing quite so bad as bad religion. Bad religion can do enormous damage to our mental and our spiritual and our emotional well-being. And then thirdly, uh, legalistic religion so easily becomes weighed down by uh, this search for a precise way in order to please God. For many of the Jewish leaders whom Jesus came face to face with this business of uh, trying to observe the Sabbath was a very complicated way of life. Because not working on the Sabbath then meant defining what work involved. It didn't involve reaping, winnowing or threshing. And taken to its nth degree, of course, it meant that when Jesus and his disciples walked through the field and picked a few ears of corn, they were reaping. And when they separated the ears from the stalks, they were winnowing. And when they crushed it in their hands so that they could eat it, they were threshing. So they were working. And not working on the Sabbath meant not traveling, of course. But traveling had to be defined. And a certain permissible distance for traveling had been worked out. And not working on the uh, Sabbath meant not carrying a burden. But what is a burden? In the end, a burden was defined as something that was the equivalent of the weight of two dried figs. One is tempted to ask how dried they have to be before they become dried figs. I mean, 
the questioning is endless, isn't it? All legalism can get bogged down in searching for more and more detail to the point where the law becomes more important than the spirit of the law. And religious legalism is no exception to that rule. And then there's a the fourth danger in legalistic religion. It can make us proud and self-righteous to the point where we become most concerned that other people should see what we're doing and how well we're doing it rather than uh, something to do with our relationship with God. Some of you who've uh, lived in this country for a long time or brought children up in this country will be aware of the books written for children and stories and poems by an author called A.A. A. Milne. And some of those stories and poems revolve around a little character called Christopher Robin, who was a little bit of a pompous young boy. He seemed to be about aged four or five, according to the pictures that I saw in the books. And one of them has Christopher Robin in a rather stuck-up frame of mind, walking on the paving streets of London, where we have paving slabs um, side by side, and playing this game where as long as he didn't step on the lines, he was all right because there were bears out to get him. And he was so proud because he managed to, to walk without treading on the lines. And he says, bears, just watch me walking in all the squares. Won't catch me walking on the lines. Legalistic religion is a bit like that. It's a form of self-righteous showing off that has far more to do with how other people regard us and see how we're doing rather than about how well we're doing with God. And fifthly and lastly, uh, legalistic religion makes laws far more important than people. And of course, in, that's really what happened in this story, the gospel story that Genevieve read to us. Because there are two characters in this story, aren't there, apart from the woman who was bent double. One was the synagogue ruler and the other was Jesus. But they both saw things rather differently. The synagogue ruler had his eye on the law that needed to be kept. And uh, he was especially watchful that nobody was breaking the Sabbath laws on the Sabbath day. Jesus, on the other hand, saw something different. He saw a woman who was imprisoned by her physical condition and in need of being released. And in an act of spontaneous compassion and love. He healed her. And in this New Living Translation that uh, I asked we might have the reading from this morning, you'll notice that Jesus refers to this woman twice in this passage as dear woman. In verse 12, when he addresses her, he says, dear woman. And a few verses later on, when he talks about her to the ruler of the synagogue, he refers to her as this dear woman, a daughter of Abraham. It's so easy for us to look at situations and people and make a judgment about people. That is the danger of legalistic religion. Thankfully, God sees our need and moves to act with a love which is not bound by petty rules and regulations. So all this really leaves us with both a word of hope and a word of warning. The word of hope is this, that Jesus didn't spend his life um, focused on the details of the law, clarifying it, analysing it, defining it and redefining it. 
He spent the years of his ministry attending to people's needs, meeting their needs, helping them when they'd fallen, reaching them out with the offer of abundant life or life in all its fullness. And that is a word of hope to us because that is how Jesus sees you and me. When he sees us, he doesn't see all the petty fogging rules and regulations that we might have fallen foul of. But he sees us as people at a point of need and moves to help us in our need. But there is a word of warning as well in this message. And that's this, that not to allow our religion or our religious practices to make us legalistic. It's all about the attitude of mind and heart. Let me just finish by telling a story about two monks. One was a monk of many years' experience. The other was a monk who hadn't long finished his training, his novitiate. They were out for a walk one day, and uh, they came to a river where there was a ford. Only there had uh, been a lot of rain, the river was swollen, and uh, therefore uh, the ford wasn't quite so easily passable as usual. And standing by the river, there was a young, beautiful young lady carrying a rather large parcel. And the younger monk went up to the young lady and said, you're looking troubled, what's the matter? And she said, I've got to get to the other side of the river with this parcel for my mother, but I'm frightened to walk through the water because it's deep and the river is flowing fast and I might get carried away. And so he offered to pick her up and carry her across the water, the river, with her parcel, which he did. When they got to the other side, she went on her way happily to her mother's house, and the two monks went on their journey together. And the older monk turned to the younger monk, and he said, Don't you remember those vows you took of poverty, chastity, and obedience? I'm not sure whether you should have picked that young woman up. And about a mile later, the older monk turned to the younger monk and said again, you know, it's not healthy for you to have physical contact with young, attractive women. About half an hour later, he had another go. He said, you know, if you keep looking at women and touching young women like that, you will have unhealthy dreams. It will lead you away from God. And in the end, the younger monk turned and said very quietly to the older monk, you know, when we got to this side of the river, I put that woman down. I think you're still carrying her. <laughs> there is a lesson there. Not to allow legalistic religion to sap the life out of our faith, our relationship with God, to rob us of the joy of experiencing all that he wants to give us. If we ditch legalism and embrace grace, we shall be able to become what Isaiah called in those two beautiful pictures, a light in the darkness and a well-watered garden. So may God bless us and enable us to do just that. Let's have a moment of quiet reflection and then I'll lead us in a very short prayer. Thank you, gracious God, that you meet us at our point of need with your grace and that your compassion is not stifled by our legalism. Save us, we pray, from judging others with 
pettifogging rules and help us to apply your grace in our dealings with one another. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. sing our closing hymn, Lord of creation, to you be all praise.